Wow, what an honor to be back at West Over Hills. I'm telling you, the food is always good uh, in San Antonio. There's good Mexican food. Y'all are spoiled over here. Speaking of being spoiled, I'm telling you, I, I always enjoy coming back to some great churches. Uh, but this is definitely a place that my wife and my family have remembered. We were here, I think, the, for the first time a couple of years ago and uh, just enjoyed that. But let me just tell you, being straight up honest with you, I might have said it then. I know I've said it this weekend, but you guys are spoiled up in this church right here. I'm telling you, with the level of worship, the authority and the anointing that's in this place, the teaching, the leadership. Come on, aren't you excited to be part of a house that gives life and gives hope and releases power and anointing. And so I think that's just a pure reflection from all the leadership. But don't you love good leaders? Come on, Pastors Jim and Pastor Denise. I love them so much. And uh, we've had some real stirring conversation about what God is doing. It excites me. Uh, uh, to hear all that God is doing through this place and through you and your families. And I believe that you're on a season. I'm telling you, I feel this uh, like in my heart, like God is, is uh, ending a chapter and a new one is beginning. I feel like God is causing these divine turnarounds to start to happen in people's lives because it's, it's time to see a third great awakening in America and across the earth and a revival that will not be ignored all over the place. How many agree with that? Come on, talk to me. I'm so passionate about this, and so it's just an honor uh, to be here. But let me, uh, let me introduce myself, because we have probably a lot of new friends that I have never met before. So let me just tell you my story so you know where I'm coming from today. I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. Does anybody know where El Paso's at? Come on the 915. We're everywhere, man. We just migrate all over. I've been in other countries, and they said I was born and raised in El Paso. I felt like I'm at home. Chicos, tacos, and everything. How many know what I'm talking about? And so uh, I, I grew up, uh, in some cases, I would grow up in neighborhoods that were good, and, and then I grew up a lot of times in neighborhoods that weren't so good. And when you grow up in those kind of environments, it's not long till you find yourself like I did with a lust problem, an anger issue, and a drug habit. But I love to play basketball. Does anybody love to hoop in here at one time, maybe? You love to play basketball in here? Uh, many moons ago, right? So uh, I, I remember I would go to this church. It was a great church. And they had a gym just like this church. They had an awesome youth pastor who invited me or found me and, and I, they would open up their gym for me to play basketball. I would go and play and then they would close it down right as soon as their youth service would start and tell all the students to come inside. And I remember the youth pastor uh, got, in, got involved in my life and this is what he said. He said, hey, do you want to go to church camp? And I, I had no idea what that meant. He said, do you want to go to church camp? I said, well, is there going to be hot girls there? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm saying. You know, I'm a little pervert at this time, so I have no idea what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> And so he, he said, well, we're going to go for Jesus. I said, fine, you can go for Jesus. I'm going to get some phone number. Hey, I want to go to church camp. <laughs> what I didn't realize is on the first night of that camp, I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I got called into ministry all in one night. It was a big, big night for me. From then on, I would come back to school at Christ for the Nations in the middle of my time there. I would find myself in just an incredible position at a luxury car dealership. And I took over the internet sales there and represented uh, Rolls Royce and Maserati and, and, and Maybach and Benz and Jaguar. And so at 21, 22, my wife's older. Hey, thank you, Jesus. Uh, I, I, I'm tell, we made financial goals that most people retire at. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. But then God would say, listen, no matter how much money you make, you'll be miserable if you're not doing the thing that God asked you to do. And so I remember God said, sell everything that you can and give away the rest. 
And he said, I want you to move to Sri Lanka. Now, how many of you know where Sri Lanka's at? A little world geography right there. Yeah, all two of you. That's wonderful. All right. And so Sri Lanka is about 40 miles south of India. So this was in the middle of their civil war. It was a 25, 26-year civil war that went on. This was in the middle of it. It was a year after the great tsunami uh, tragedy that happened in that region. And I remember showing up, and it was very volatile at that time because there was a lot of extremism, uh, religious extremism, that was going on. So I remember mortar shells blowing up down the road from our home. I remember uh, shots being fired. I remember suicide bombers bombing the hotels that we would stay in. Come on, it's a great vacation spot if you ever want to go. It's wonderful. <laughs> But let me tell you something, it didn't matter what it was, we felt the peace of God and God was raising up his church. We saw daily salvations, signs, wonders, healings, miracles. I mean, God was just taking ground and still is. To, we helped relaunch a church there and this day it is eight campuses strong. I'm telling you, they're seeing the move of God all over the country. Come on, that's exciting for our brothers and sisters around the earth. God is moving. He is up to something. There's a great hope in, in, in the earth today because of this. We came back uh, with a short, uh, after our short time there and took over a youth ministry. And, uh, and the same thing happened. We had this sweeping revival come through our young people. I'm telling you, we had young people who would give, uh, our students would give prophetic words in their high school. And all of a sudden, the class would fall out. People would start getting healed. I'm talking about people's uh, legs would get out of, a, uh, out of a cast. They'd start running around the lunchroom because they got totally healed. Arms would start uh, getting broken. Arms got healed. I'm telling you, teachers were encountering the presence of God off of our students that would get saved. I had one woman who, was, uh, who practiced Islam end up getting her life to Jesus as a teacher. Come on, when teenagers start to do that, I'm telling you, that's this generation. This is not coming. This is happening now. We're starting to see this kind of fire and passion and authority now. I'm excited about that. And I tell you what, I, I, I love this kind of, I love pastoring there. And then I would get a call from Christ for the Nations Institute right here in Dallas. And they said, we love the type of uh, leader that you're raising up. Can you do that here? So I've been there now for seven years. And, but listen, I'm telling you, I can't think of a better place to be than right here at West Over Hills with you. Come on, are you glad you came to church today? My wife and I, she says hello to you. She's been here before, so have my children. We love this church. And, and uh, I, my wife and I, we've been married for 12 years. Come on, thank God for that, my 12. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I'll tell you what, we have four kids. Pray for me. All right? Well, I mean, pray for her. She's homeschooling them, so just divide it fairly, okay? But uh, pray for us. I mean, we love our family, though. We have our youngest, who is seven months. His name is Micah Brave. Our, our youngest daughter, uh, Carissa Diamond, she's three. We have our oldest daughter, Jasmine. She's seven, and she is sassy. I'm telling you, she, she's got it all together. I'm telling you. And then our oldest son, Elisha, uh, he's nine. He had his first City League basketball game yesterday, and... Y'all, we got some work to do. I'll tell you that right now, all right? So, but I'm telling you, they, they say hi to you. They're praying for you and uh, praying for Daddy as he ministers this morning. How many of you hungry for something fresh? I don't know about you, but I don't like my food cold, and I don't like my bread stale. I don't like the word in either fashion. Are you with me? I want it fire. I want it fresh out, fresh out the oven. Are you, I, I think what God has given us today is right out of his heart. And so, how many are you excited about the word of God today? Oh, awesome. I love it. I love it. Talk back to me. Let's create an environment where we respond. I, 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 I really feel like that it is the environment that unlocks the seed of the word. It's the environment, the excitement, and at the same time, the response. When you respond to God, that's why many times the psalmist had to stop and say, Selah, and pause just a moment because there was something deeper happening. There was a, a genuine response. Can we respond to the word this morning? Somebody say yes. 
Say, come on, somebody. Say, some on somebody. Yeah, all right, spell it, spell it, spell it, yeah. <laughs> all right, are you ready for the word? Awesome. All right, turn on your Bible. Yes, turn it on to Luke chapter 3. If you open it, that's great. If you turn it on, that's fine. The Word of God says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. In other words, it doesn't matter if it's on a sheet of paper or a screen. It still has the potential to shape your life. Come on, are you excited? Luke chapter 3, verse 16. While you're turning there, let me give you some background. This is John the Baptist speaking. Now, John the Baptist was the man at this point. There was 400 years of silence, and then all of a sudden God raises up the cousin of Jesus, Elizabeth and Zechariah, the priest's son, and they give birth to a son named John. Now, it's John the Baptizer. That's where you get the name John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist is used to harsh conditions because this is the way that he, he was structured by God and, and, and really given the assignment of God. He, he, John the Baptist didn't go into the cities and preach. He was out in the wilderness. So if you wanted an encounter with God, you had to find him somewhere where there wasn't running water, there wasn't electricity back then, there wasn't any of the comforts that they were used to in a city. So when you came out to see John the Baptist, you were hungry, spiritually desiring something fresh. And John the Baptist, listen, many people saw the work of God in his life. They saw the miracles. They saw the power, the authority that he taught with. Uh, many people thought that he was the Messiah. And so he had to put the rumors to rest. There was like a, a Jerusalem TMZ going on. You know what I'm telling you? And they had to put down the rumors. I am not the Messiah. In fact, this is what he said, Luke 3.16, when he denies these, uh, uh, this. He says, Luke 3.16, it says, John answered them all. He said, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Watch this. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now follow those, say those last two words with me. And one more time. Now, I love the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love the work of the Holy Spirit. I love the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I love the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I love the ministry, the encounter, the refreshing presence of God, which is the Holy Spirit. But he says he's going to baptize the Holy Spirit and... Now, this is interesting to me. Because notice he's not just saying you're going to have... Many people have, have mistaken fire to be some radical, spiritual, spooky response. You, you know, I grew up in El Paso, went to a lot of churches, and uh, I'm telling you that when they pray fire, they're screaming in your ear, fire, 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 if you're Hispanic, fuego, 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 fuego de Dios. You know what I'm talking about, right? They always had bad breath. Those ones always pop a mint in your mouth. It smells like something died in your teeth. All right, stop that. Fuego, fuego, fire, fire. Let me tell you something. Fire is not necessarily radical. It, it, here's what the baptism of fire is. It is a spiritual, it is a supernatural, it is a strong, passionate desire for Him. That's what fire is. When you have the fire of God, it means that you are hungry for God and nothing else. That's, that's, there's only one way to get that, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's only one way to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Are you with me? God wants His whole church to be on fire. That's that's what he says, and fire. It means to have a passionate desire for him. Let's pray this morning. Would you join with me? Holy Spirit, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I speak to this atmosphere, and I say that you are full of hope, that you are full of faith, that you are full of peace. And that I speak to this atmosphere, I say that you're full of power. 
and radical mercy and transparency, God. I thank you that you are lifting up the barriers that the enemy has tried to set on families and marriages, God, on men individually and women individually. I come against every limit, every restriction, every demonic harassment that has come on your life, and I break that right now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that we are not going to be satisfied with a Wednesday and Sunday morning fire. We don't want synthetic fire. God, we want authentic, real, genuine, straight from the heart of God. Touch my life and change me more into you. We want that kind of fire, God. We don't want manageable fire. We don't want part-time devotion and part-time consecration. We want lifestyles of surrender, lifestyles of fire. God, we need your fire again. Back in America, Lord, we need your fire in high school campuses. We need your fire back in marriages, not just to have romantic marriages, God, but marriages that reflect the very heart of God. Lord, we need your fire in ways we have never encountered before. Lord, we want a historic outpouring of your holy fire all over the earth, God. Touch every life. Let no one, God, escape your love. Lord, we may drown in your love that we would never come up for worldly air, God. We need your fire in this place. Lord, we want the type of fire that Moses was exposed to through the burning bush. We want the type of fire that caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to not even lose one hair in a fiery furnace because you cannot burn what is already on fire. We want the type of fire and the type of life, like Elijah, where we set up our altar, we have a showdown with the enemy of God, and all of a sudden God answers by fire. We want the type of fire that is irresistible to the world, God, and undeniable to our families, undeniable to everyone else. God, use your fire in our life in ways we could never, that let there be no mistake that we have been with Jesus. Lord, I thank you for these people, every man and woman, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. I'm calling this message Fueled by Fire. Fueled by Fire. Let me tell you a story. It, just so you know, this is B.C. and B.E., okay, before Christ and before Erica, my wife. All right. <laughs> Christ gives me the spiritual sense. My wife sometimes has to talk common sense into me sometimes. I, I, was just a, I was just a little boy, and I would go over to my grandparents. I have an adoptive, make a long story short, I have an adoptive set of grandparents. And these grandparents, that one of my, there's Grandma Georgia and Grandpa Buddy. And Grandpa Buddy loved horses, and so he had his favorite horse. His favorite horse was named Bugsy. Pastor Jim, I don't know why you would name a horse Bugsy. It's like naming a Chihuahua elephant, all right, or a hamster rhino, you understand? Or the kitty cat lion. It just doesn't work, all right? But that, hey, it's your horse, you name it whatever you want. And so his favorite horse was Bugsy. And on the weekends, when I would go over and spend some quality time with them, my job was to feed and water Bugsy. And so I remember one night, before the sun went down, I went and took some hay, and I put it in, in, in the feeder, and then I put the water, and I had to fill it up, and, and I had to move this 50-gallon drum of water, and, and had to move it in position. Well, I can neither confirm nor deny that I might have put that a little too far away from the horse. So I go to bed thinking everything's fine. I wake up the next morning, I walk up, sun hasn't crested over the horizon yet. I'm walking up. Instead of seeing the horse standing up, I'm watch, I look and I see the horse and it is killed over dead like this. All right, tongue hanging out its head and everything. This horse choked itself trying to get to the water all night. I know, this is terrible. So now I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm nine years old. This is, this is the best. Lord, I gave you my best nine years. All right. Because I, 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 listen, when you can cross your parents and that's a whole nother level of discipline. But when your grandparents, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about old school right there. 
See, I grew up on the type of uh, a street that if you did something wrong 10 houses down, if you did something dumb, that grandparent would come out the house and whoop your butt for it. Tell me what I'm talking about. And then you were crying on the way home, and, and another grandparent would say, why are you crying? Well, I went and said this, or I had this bad attitude, or something like that. And they come out the house and whoop your butt for it. You got beat like seven times before you got to your parents. You understand what I'm telling you? So I, I may have watched one too many mafia movies at this time. So I thought, let's get rid of the body. It's a true story. This is the spirit of stupid right here. That's what this is. So, so I, I get as much gasoline as I can, and I dump gasoline all over this horse. I like the man. Whoosh! And I'm like, yes! It's going to be non-existent. Can't prove it. Nobody's seen it. Where's the horse? I don't know. About 60 seconds later, that fire goes out. I'm like, it just needs more gas. That's what it needs. It needs more gas. So I take more gas, and I dump it on this, this burning carcass, okay? And I dump more gas on there, and I get a little back, and I throw the match, and whoosh, even a bigger flame comes out. I'm like, yes, burn, baby, burn. This is what we need. God save me. <laughs> I'm so dumb. About two minutes later, the fire goes out. Just like that. So I'm thinking, it needs some help. Let me just, let me put some wood and some dry newspaper, or some newspaper and everything that's dry. And, and let me dump all the gas I got on this horse. This thing is going to be gone, right? So the sun is about to come up. I'm telling you, my grandfather is probably already awake, doesn't know what I'm doing, probably smells it. But I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So, so I dump all the gas and I know that, I mean, you can smell. I think if I would light it right there, I would, it would combust. So, so I get a little line, right? I work out this little line right here. And I get all the way back and I throw the match on the ground and it gets a little line and whoosh, this big burst of flame. I'm like, yes, fire. About five minutes later, it goes out. As it goes out, there's smoke, you know, you, you can barely see through, through the smoke. I see this figure of a man appear. Yeah, this ain't Jesus, okay? <laughs> For all the spiritual people, all the intercessors, all right? Just helping you out. This is not Jesus. My grandfather is holding a belt. Y'all, and that's so Texan, y'all, I could not sit for a week after he was done with me. You know what I think? I think a lot of us are like this horse. We love to get lit, but we don't like to stay on fire. So we have to run. Listen, we have to run to a conference to another podcast, to another book, to another service, to another pastor, to another prayer moment, to another significant moment, just as long as I can be lit. This brings a whole new meaning to, it's going to be lit, all right? This brings a whole other meaning. <laughs> We're so, we love the spark, but we don't know how to sustain spiritual fire anymore. And what happens is, is we end up settling for generic fire, like spiritual activity. I'm okay with you coming to church, just as long as the church goes with you when you leave. I'm okay with you getting involved in the church and you getting excited about miracles and power and salvation just as long as you can do that in the Walmart just as much as you do that in the altar. We, we, like we have a saying at, at Christ of Nations, if you can prophesy in, in the church or you can't prophesy in the church like you do at the mall, something's wrong with you. It should be 100% natural. Are you with me? And I think what's happening is we don't have a fire anymore. What we have is moment to moment, spark to spark, and there's no sustaining flame. Are you with me? Come on, talk to me this morning. I'll, allow me to take you on a journey real quick through your Bible. I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures. Just write down the address of the scripture. You don't have to turn there. But I want you to see the role that fire has played all throughout the history of the word. Did you know that fire is a part of God's nature? Hebrews 12, 29 says this, our God is a consuming what? 
sapphire. It's nothing. It's not what he has. It's who he is. Just like God is love, 1 John chapter 4. Just like it says, Jesus said, uh, I am the truth. He doesn't have truth. He is truth because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not a thing. It's a person. His name is Jesus. Are you with me? So he comes back and says, our God is, not has, is a consuming fire. In fact, when Ezekiel saw a vision uh, of the Lord in Ezekiel 127, this is what he described. He saw, it says, I saw that what happened to be, uh, what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. In fact, John the Revelator it wrote the book of Revelations in Revelations chapter 1, verse 14 and 16. This is what he writes. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing His face shone like the sun with all of its brilliance. Do you realize that not only is it a part of his nature, but his word is like fire. In Jeremiah 23, 29, he tells Jeremiah, is not my word like fire? Two chapters before, he even says, the word of God is like fire. Shut up in my bones, Right? Even this, look at this, in Luke 24, 32, when Jesus is resurrected, he finds these two men on the way to Damascus, and all of a sudden, he begins to have a conversation with them and starts to tell them about the things in the prophets and in the law up to this point. And it says, all of a sudden, he disappears, and the men make this comment. They say, when he was with us, teaching us these words, did not our heart burn within us? Why? Because it was fire. Are you with me? Are you with me? Psalms 119, 105, what does it say? Your, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. What's a lamp? What's a light? It's a, are you following me? Look at this. In his, did you know his angels are like fire? In Psalms uh, chapter 104, verse 4, it says he makes winds, his messengers, flames of fire, his servants. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a, an account of the prophet Elisha. A whole army is about to kill one man because the king cannot rest because everything the king says, the prophet already knows. So this whole army comes out and one of Elisha's servants starts freaking out about it. This servant says, what are you going to do? And Elisha says, the, the ones who are with us are more than the ones who are against us. And he's like, are you crazy? So then he goes off and he, this is what he says. He says, Lord, open the servant's eyes. When the servant's eyes is open, he sees the whole hills full of chariots of fire because that's his angels. Did you know his people should be on fire? John 5, 35, Jesus talking about John the Baptist. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Jesus said in Luke 12, 35, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Luke 12, 49, Jesus said this. What a mission statement. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it would already kindle. In Mark chapter 9, verse 49, Jesus says this, everyone's life will be seasoned by fire. In fact, he even goes on to say that the only way that you actually grow is to actually be put in the fire. My friend, let me lovingly ask us, do you have this type of fire, this type of passion burning on the inside of you? Is it this bright or is your cell phone still brighter than your fire? Where's the fire? If we're going to have a fueled life, if we're going to have the life of fire, then I want to give you a few things. The first one is this. Number one, fire will transform you. Make no mistake, fire will transform you. Malachi, in, in chapter 3 of Malachi, he gives us a perfect picture. He says that he's going to purify us like a launderer's soap, and he is going to purify the sons of Levi in the refiner's fire. What does that mean? It means that it's a picture 
It means that a refiner, when he finds a piece of gold, it's normally found in a, as an alloy. Let me drop some science knowledge on you for just a second, okay? When it's found, it's a collection of metals. So when gold is found, it's found with zinc, copper, and nickel. And so to get the purest form of gold, because it's not as valuable with that attached, it has to be thrown into a refiner's fire. And so what happens, a refiner comes and he heats up this fire. And then he adds this chemical agent called flux. And what flux does is it separates all the things, the impurities that devalue the gold. Remember, the focus is the gold, but it's not anything else. And then he throws the gold in. Now, once the gold, boom, hits that fire, the refiner never takes his eyes off of that gold. And as he starts to see copper separate, he throws copper in a pile and nickel in a pile and zinc in a pile. And he's constantly removing pieces as the agent is, is working its way around. He's moving the gold around and it starts separating things. And he's moving it here. And do you know when the refiner knows when he's done? It's when he can see his reflection in the fire and in the gold. What does that mean? God has set up your spiritual life. That you are going to go through times of testing and growth. You're going to go through times that are going to grow some spiritual muscle. And you're going to get some spiritual gains. It's called the refiner's fire. And he's heating it up and heating it up. And then the Holy Spirit comes. And he starts to separate the bad attitudes. And the negative mindsets. And the poverty mentalities. And the things that hold you back. The things that devalue you. And God knows he's done in that area of your life. When he can see himself in the reflection of your life. Fire will transform you. Do you realize, number two, that fire changes everything? You know something has encountered fire because it ceases to look like what it once did. Some things are changed. Your life should look changed. If you really encountered God, you should be different. Come on, talk to me for a second. I'm I, 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 I privileged to be at, at Christ for the Nations where we have students that come from all over the world. And I hear their stories. Some of them were jihadists, and some of them were witches, and some of them were prostitutes, and some of them were some drug lords, and some of them were pop stars from other countries, and some of them were, were incredible athletes and laying down scholarships and contracts and big money. And they come and they start telling me all that God asked them uh, to give. And I can tell that they have encountered God because there's a fire burning in their heart. You can tell there's something coming out of their mouth. You can tell there's something coming off their life. You can tell by the way that they hear. I think it's time that we, we stop having spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness and call it church. I think it's time that we start having holy fire again, where it's undeniable all across the planet, where people know that God is still moving. You know, I, I, I believe, and, and let me just put a special challenge out there to the men. I did this, I didn't do this last night, but I... I felt led to do it this morning, and, and I feel led to do it now. But men, we need men of fire again. We need men who know how to steward a godly fire in the home. Can I lovingly say to us as a brotherhood, it is not my pastor's job to pastor and raise my family spiritually. It is my job. He didn't give him those kids. He didn't trust them. I have four arrows that God has given me that I put in the, in the bow of destiny. I'm supposed to sling them across with as much as I can. And so I've got to push back and stretch that bow because I'm their father. As a man, it is my job. It is not my wife's job to be the thermostat. It is my job to be the thermostat of the spiritual temperature of my home. I Listen, hear, hear me, men. I, ladies, never pick on a man for trying to be a man. You have no idea what it's like to be a man. It's hard being a man nowadays because we're told to be passive. Normally, men are, are known to be the, the dumb ones. And, and when men in the Bible were the wise, 
the wise men, they sit up in the city council and their wives enjoyed their position because, listen, there's something about a man when they're in a circumstance and a godly man has a consuming fire inside of them and all of a sudden, hear me, all of a sudden you don't know what to do. Now we've been shown two different things. There's some men who sit there and go, well, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what God's going to say. But there's, that's not the fire of God. When the fire of God comes on a man, a man steps up and says, baby, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray until he does something. We're going to fast until he does something. We're going to worship. We're not going to stop. We're not going to give up. It's going to increase. I believe that God wants to set a generation of men on fire again. Again, that's undeniable. I'm watching this happen in my kids. You know, I, I'm, listen, don't think because a mic's in my hand I'm this passionate. I'm passionate about it everywhere, even with my children. My wife and I, we just want to raise our kids, not just in church, but in Jesus, in the things of God. I remember one time, my wife and I, we just always believed for the supernatural to be a part of every situation. Healing, wisdom, direction. I remember one time I had my daughter Jasmine. She was five at this time. She is, I'm telling you, she is all sass. I'm telling you, she's got it all. And we're sitting there and she had watched her mother. She had watched me just Many times we'd walk up to people in the grocery store or going about our day at the bank or at a gas station and we'd just begin to minister to people. And so we're in, at Chick-fil-A. Come on, do you love Chick-fil-A? I'm talking about Christian chicken, y'all. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Christian chicken. So we go to Chick-fil-A. I'm in the drive-thru. I look at this woman. And, uh, and I said, this is what we're ordering. So we get through the drive-thru window. We're going to pay for the food. And she takes my card and goes back in. And, and Jasmine goes, Dad, I have a word for this woman. I'm like, you five, who talks like that? All right, I got a word for her. This, you know, I'm condensing it, but this was, I have a word for her. And I, I, so I said, okay, you're going to tell her. So the lady comes back. She gives me my card back with my receipt. And I, I said, ma'am, listen, we're Christians and we hear God. And I believe God spoke to my daughter and she wants to tell you what God said. Now this lady's like, now that's cute. <laughs> what she don't know is there is a lion with baby teeth that's five years old in the backseat of my car. All right. So I roll down the window. And just as convicted as anyone can be, as a seasoned prophet, as a seasoned man or woman of God, she looks at this woman and she says, ma'am, God says, she's five, God says that you're a good mother and you never doubt that he doesn't think that you're a good mother. You're a great mother. You're a good mother. This lady, she, I'm telling you, this lady busted out into tears, like the ugly cry, like you've been sucking on a lemon for 30 minutes, right, and takes off running. Didn't even give us our food. <laughs> Service ain't what it used to be. I mean, I, listen, I'm hungry. I want chicken. Jasmine wants to have revival. We can't have both. <laughs> so the manager comes. Sir, is everything okay? I mean, she's crying. Did, did we not do something for you? So I did what any father would do. I made my daughter explain. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I said, Jasmine, baby, tell them what happened. Oh, listen, God spoke to her. She's going to be okay. It's, I mean, she just goes into pastoral mode. <laughs> you know what I mean? Lady comes back after drying her eyes. She says, thank you, thank you. So I said, obviously that meant something to you. What, what did that mean? She said, you know, I'm a mother of, of, I think she's three kids, excuse me. I'm a mother of three kids. She said, I work two jobs and I'm exhausted and I feel like I'm still not giving my kids enough because I want to give my kids the world. And she said, I told myself this morning, because you, I'm a single mother and I work two jobs, I must be a terrible mother. And then your daughter tells me, you're a good mother. Don't you ever doubt that. Why would that happen? 
because a five-year-old has a blazing fire on the inside of her heart. I do not believe that children, teenagers, young adults are given a mini Holy Spirit. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is alive in my five-year-old. It's alive in your babies and alive in your children. Fire will change everything. It's time to have a life that's fueled by fire. Let me give you this last thing. If you're going to have that, a lot of people say, well, Pastor Chris, how do I keep and intensify? How do I sustain that fire? Well, let me teach you something out of Matthew 25. You don't have to, again, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it for you for the sake of time. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable. He tells a parable of, of five foolish virgins and five wise virgins. Now, the foolish ones, he says, in the middle of the night, the bridegroom might come at the darkest hour, so you better make sure you have a lamp just in case he doesn't come during the day. And so the five foolish ones go, and they go to the, the store, and they say, give me one lamp. I just want as much. Uh, what does a lamp cost? And they say, well, it costs this much. Okay, I'm willing to give at least that much. I'm willing to give that. And so they take the lamp, and, and they go home. But the wise ones go and they buy a lamp. This is what they do. They buy a lamp and listen, just for the sake of time, they take as much as they can because they don't just buy a lamp. The Bible says they buy a lamp and oil. And it says that, that and I can just have a picture of this, is it, as they're walking into God's warehouse and buying this stuff, they begin to say, God, we need a lamp. But we also need as much oil. So I've emptied out everything. I've given you every piece of my life. I'm taking out all the money I have in my wallet. I've emptied out my bank account. I sold my house. I sold the cars. I sold the motorcycle. I sold the boat. I sold everything because I want you and I want to have this lamp. I want to have as much oil, boom, as this will buy me. Then all of a sudden, it's midnight. The bridegroom comes. Of course, the ones without any oil are freaking out because they can't even light their lamps because there's no oil. And so they tell the ones with oil, they say, give us some of your oil. Please, or, otherwise, or we're going to miss it. And the ones with oil said, we cannot because there might not be enough for you and us. And then they say this, go and buy some for yourself. Now, why is this so important? Because there are many people who have the lamp. They've prayed that prayer. They have their moment, salvation experience, a fresh encounter. They have their lamp. But did you go and get oil? Can you sustain the spiritual hunger I, 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 I speak with genuine, good-hearted people who are believers, and they say, Man, why is it that I feel like my spiritual appetite wanes after a few weeks of a, of a God encounter? Why does it feel like it just it comes in ebbs and flows? Friend, it doesn't have to be like that. A daily relationship with the Holy Spirit is as refreshing as the first day that you encountered Him, and that's what God wants to give all of us on every morning, at every night, at every turn. He doesn't want to just have you have church. He wants you to have a fresh encounter with Him. My, that, that phrase, Pastor Jim, always stood out with me. I didn't understand it until recently. I heard someone teach on it. They said that, that, that phrase when they said, go buy some for yourself. So how do you buy oil? There's only one currency you can buy oil with in the kingdom of God, and that's surrender. The more you surrender, it just seems like your capacity to carry more becomes enlarged. You know, I, you always know someone who's carrying more. Let, let's just, let me put this illustration out there. You always know someone who's carrying more. Like, I'm a guy. When I go grocery shopping, I don't want to make three trips out to the trunk of my car to carry groceries, right? So I will darn near break my left pinky, my, my, le or my, my right pinky, my left hand, and maybe pull a muscle in my back. But I'm going to gather all 500 bags and we coming in, right? And even if I have to move through the door like this, I'm going to come in, right? Watch this. People who carry more live different. They walk different. 
Maybe some of you are wanting that lifestyle of different and God's saying, well, give me more. I believe that there's genuine hunger in this room, but maybe, just maybe, we're holding back too much of our life. Maybe there are pieces of our life. Maybe there are decisions. Maybe there is future opportunities that you have not submitted to God. And God's saying, listen, I have a better plan for you. If you will give it to me, if you will surrender, I promise you, it'll blow your mind and it'll overwhelm you in every sense of the word. This, this is why I love teenagers. I'm, I really mean this. This is why. Because th especially this generation. Where's the high school at? Is it, where, where you at? High school? There you go. I'm, I'm telling you, I, this, is, this is why, there's like three people in high school here, like, we in high school too. You know? <laughs> I, I believe that there's coming a day where what I'm doing and what pastors are doing, it'll be your responsibility. And if you will learn to surrender now, you will carry more than what we ever did when you get to be where we're at doing what we're doing. We need a generation that's not just willing to hold on, but a generation that's willing to surrender. God, give us a fearless generation. But I think one of the most hypocritical things I've ever seen is that an older generation asking a younger generation to produce something that's not been modeled for them. We have to model surrender. We have to model a life of fire. We want to be fueled by fire. Would you stand up with me this morning? I feel the presence of God in this place. I really do. I feel like there's some people in here for the first time. And you, this, is, this is sitting on you. You feel your heart is being pulled in a direction. I want to tell you, that is the presence of God. That is the passion of God Almighty over your life. There's someone in here, it took all the courage you had to get out of bed and come to church today. For whatever reason, I feel like you've been dealing with a lot of regret. Regret means when our past is too much to carry. I know what that's like. The Bible says, though, that godly sorrow produces life unto repentance, not to be regretted. I feel like there's some of you in here that, again, you took everything you could to get in here. And what you're hearing is you're hearing the voice inside the voice. You may be hearing my voice, but you feel something. You sense God. You hear or you see something else happening with your life. Friend, that is God. It's time to begin a lifestyle of fire, of godly surrender. There are a lot of us in this room. I want to ask the prayer team and staff, if you come join me, I want to tell all our friends in the balcony, you don't even have to come down the front. We've got uh, pastors and team members in the balcony because I want to give you a moment for God to agree, for you to agree before God with some of the trusted leaders in this house, in this church, to give you a moment that you're going to have a lifestyle of fire. I believe what I said, that question is burning in me. Do, listen to me. Do you have this type of fire? Is this burning on the inside of you? This godly surrender, or are you holding back pieces of your life? Are you keeping back things that you should not? And let me tell you something. Many times what happens, hear me, I feel this, if I could have everyone's attention. Many times we're scared of what's going to come out in the fire. I remember in Acts 28 when Paul the apostle is shipwrecked on an island. And it says that he's gathering dry wood in a bunch of twigs and branches. And it says that he gathers them not knowing what had been in these branches. He gathers a pile. He takes it over to fire. And the Bible says as soon as he lays that wood on the fire, a viper comes out of this fire and bites him on the arm, latches himself to the arm. I love what Paul does. The Bible says immediately he threw the viper back into the fire. 
Let me help somebody out. What comes out in the fire belongs in the fire. What happens in the fire stays in the fire. God does not use shame, remembrance of guilt. He doesn't use condemnation. That is the work of the devil. What, What changes in the fire stays in the fire. But you come out a brand new person looking like Jesus. It's time for holy fire to erupt in our life. This is the moment. This is the season. This is now. This is happening. If you say, Pastor Chris, I want this. I I feel like many of you, there's some of you in this room, you've been burning for a fresh encounter. Maybe that's just the word that I keep getting in these services is more. God, I want more. If that's you, would just raise your hand. Who am I talking about? You've been, God, I want more. It's not better preaching. It's not better worship. You don't want more more books to read. You want more of Him. You want a fresh encounter with God Almighty. Friend, I'm telling you, it's time to surrender. More. You say, what else can I give? Give Him everything. You've been hearing the voice inside the voice. He's been highlighting areas. If this is you, you say, Pastor Chris, I want someone to agree with me. I'm going to surrender some things, and I'm going to make room. I I feel like God's saying, make room for the new. Make room for the new, the new life, the new lifestyle, the new God habits, the new patterns of spirituality are going to have to make room for the new. If this is you and you want someone to pray with you to agree with this, this is your moment. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to come down. You ready? On the balcony, remember, there are people in the aisles that are going to pray with you. You don't even have to come down here. God is in this place. On the count of three, one, two, three, come down, come down, please come down. Come down. I don't care who you have to move and say, please, would you mind? I have to get down there. I want more. I want oil. I need to buy a lamp and as much oil as it's going to get me. Come on down. Come on down. Come on, church. Let's give a shout of praise for people who say, I'm making room for new. I believe this. I want to pray this. If you're in this place and you say, I want something fresh. I don't want just a prayer. I want something fresh. I want my own encounter. If that's you, would you lift both hands like this as an act of surrender? Father, I'm asking for the excessiveness of your goodness and your presence to come on the lives of your people. I ask for overflow and surplus of your revelation and of your power and authority to come on the lives of your people, God. The things that have done, the, the cold water of apathy and compromise and synthetic fire that's been trying to put out our fire, I remove it right now in Jesus' name. And I agree with every man and woman in this room that you are going to be set ablaze starting now. You're going to have fresh encounters. You're going to have like Isaiah moments where you, when King Uzziah dies, you're going to see the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe is going to fill the temple and you're going to see angelic hosts flying around the temple saying holy 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 I believe that you're going to have a moment like Moses did at the burning bush when God says go back to Egypt all of a sudden this fire that you've been exposed to by a bush all of a sudden lives inside of your heart you're going to feel like Jeremiah when he says it's fire his word is like fire shut up in my bones it's time for holy fire Jesus would you release more of it more of it God Father I thank you I I just pray, I believe that some of you, you're not just crying out for yourself, but I believe families and marriages, the people in your sphere of influence need to feel the heat of this fire. You know I have a brother, (coughs) excuse me, a stepbrother that was a volunteer firefighter, and he told me, he said, you know, Chris, 
a fire doesn't even need to touch an object to set it ablaze. It just needs to be hot enough. Let me put it to you like this. If I am hot enough in the God fire, if I have the holy fire God burning, then whatever's next to me better watch out because I don't even need to touch it in order for it to burst out in the fire. I just need to be hot enough. God, I pray that you would make our lives hot enough to, sab- to, to sabotage sin and to erase the things of the enemy, God, to destroy the kingdom of darkness. Make our lives hot enough that we would have holy fire consume our life again. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this hour as people are being touched. You are so, so good.